0: The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have Joe Noregna with me here. Um, Joe, super excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Many of the reasons I'm excited to have you here is you've done so many different things in many different industries, but specifically in the financial services. You've worked in big companies, you've worked in startups, you've worked in corporate organizations, you've tried to drive innovation in, in different ways in the financial services industry. So and one of the things we constantly hear, especially in that industry, is challenges with regulation, hard to do, different sets of behaviors. So I think I'm really excited to learn some lessons from you today about strategies you've had to deploy both yourself to unlearn and relearn in those environments mm-hmm. to help people succeed, but also as from an organizational point of view, things companies you've seen have had to go through and the different companies you've been involved in and what they've done differently to succeed. Right. And I'm sure fail along the way as well, too. (laughs) So, you know, before we get into all that sort of detail, why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Sure. um,
0: Sure. Well, i start off describing myself is that I come from one of those very successful immigrant stories where my mother and father immigrated to the United States from South America, from Colombia, without any education, without any English, knowledge of English, speaking English, and without anybody to talk to or have a friend here in the States. And they basically started from scratch. And through hard work, they had a very successful life. My father didn't have any education, and he ended up retiring as a vice president at Citibank. And he started off in the mailroom at nighttime, not even speaking a word of English. And little by little, he learned English and they educated him. And uh, he ended up retiring as vice president. And for sure, it'd be wrong for me to say that he wouldn't be successful if it wasn't for my mother. a Very hardworking individual. So we had uh, two working families. So, you know, a lot of good core foundation in terms of hard work that I learned from them. But in terms of my business background, so my career has spanned over 20 plus years. The first 20 years was with banks. I have worked and lived in New York, London, and Frankfurt. And during those 20 years, I worked at Citibank and Deutsche Bank. Most of my career was in trading. I was a foreign exchange trader. And then over time, I ended up being a trading manager. And then over time, ended up running businesses and then became chief operating officer for the foreign exchange and commodities business. I left the banking industry back in 2003 or four. I can't remember, where I became a, a partner in a startup global macro hedge fund. A very humbling experience, to say the least. <laughs> Always, right? Yeah, a very humbling experience as a business owner. It doesn't matter whether it's a hedge fund or a pizza shop. A very humbling experience, to say the least. We ran the hedge fund for four years, but unfortunately, we had to close down. We had to make a decision at that time, but learned a tremendous, a tremendous amount during that time. And then after the hedge fund, I went to go work at uh, Bridgewater Associates, which is a much bigger fund managing $160 billion at the time. And again, a tremendous learning experience working at Bridgewater. Most people will know Bridgewater as one of the most successful funds in the industry, but also people will know Bridgewater based on their culture and their principles-based culture. Right now, Ray Dalio, who's the founder of Bridgewater, he's very active on LinkedIn in promoting the principles that he has laid out at uh, Bridgewater.
1: Yeah, and he wrote this fantastic book, Principles, which I think Great book. Yes. Yes. so many people love and enjoy. I personally really enjoyed it as well. Yes. And a very contrary view in some respects very about much how to so. run companies.
0: Yes, very much so. And learned a tremendous amount from Ray, his principles approach. And my time at Bridgewater, but I probably learned more after I left Bridgewater because it it was a time to reflect on why I failed at Bridgewater. And I learned a tremendous amount about myself and it definitely made me a very different employee in my next role. So two instances where we failed, or I failed, the hedge fund, we ended up closing down and Bridgewater didn't work out for a period of time, but two experiences where I learned a tremendous amount. And then I joined HSBC, where I was the chief operating officer for our global foreign exchange and commodities business. Did that for a number of years, and I was asked to run their digital trading business for foreign exchange. And then I was asked to start a new Group within the bank called Corporate Digital, where we look to develop a digital transaction banking platform across our transaction banking products, so foreign exchange, money markets, payments and cash management, and trade financing. And it was sort of like in the entrepreneurial venture, where it was a startup trying to bring a number of different platforms, a number of different stakeholders together to create that one single presence for our corporate clients. And the corporate clients being your small, medium-sized enterprises to your large, multinational corporates. And then I moved back to New York, where I'm uh, currently right now the Chief Operating Officer for Global Markets America's Business.
1: A wealth of experience to draw on there. And, <laughs> and, you know, one of my favorite things about you is that you're very liberal, with you're sharing your experiences, both the things that have worked for you and haven't worked for you. And I think that's a, a credit to you, especially in an industry where that's not so common.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and I think one of the things I'm keen to dive into, and I know we've some great examples to talk through, is like what, what were some of those key unlearning moments for you in your own personal career? You've been in, you know, the very different shapes and sizes and industry. Where's a sort of moment that stands out to you as one of those first sort of unlearning moments? And how did you recognize that you needed to unlearn?
0: Mm -hmm. So there are several moments. There's, There's definitely not just one moment. But when I look back at my career, I would definitely say it started off with the foundation that my parents set in for me. Funny story, which everyone always likes, is my mother was always the type that would say, just go and try it. Right? She wasn't the type that would step back and say, okay, let's design the solution. Let's see what's right. But she would always just say, just go and try it and we'll figure it out. And the funny story is, is that when I was 10 or 11, we moved from Elmhurst in Queens in New York to Bayside in Queens, seven miles. But for a 10, 11 year old, it's far away. Yeah, that's it. And I remember my first day of school, I was sitting in front of Kenny Preston and he knew I was new in school, new in the neighborhood. And as we were talking, he said, well, why don't you come out and try for the swim team and I'll introduce you to some friends. So I go home really excited. Mother says, how was your first day of school? And again, you know, these, my parents were immigrant. You know, they didn't know that much about the American society. And I told her it was a great day. I met Kenny Preston and he invited me to meet some friends on the swim team. So she says, great, I'll take you. So she takes me to wherever the uh, swimming tryouts were. And as I go into the pool area in the first several lanes were the team from before last year, just practicing. And at the last lane were all the kids who were trying out for the team. So I get online, I'm probably in the middle of the line. And I look at what's happening. The coach blows his whistle and you know one person dives in and just swims to the other end. And I see next person do the same thing. I said, okay, I think I can do this. So it comes my turn and the coach says, are you ready? I said, yes. He blows the whistle and I dive in the water and I go straight to the bottom and I, and I don't come up. So the coach had to jump in the water with his shorts and his polo shirt, grab me from the bottom, and then pull me over. And he said, what happened? And I said, I never swam before in my life. I came here to make some friends. So probably the first part of it was just go and try and figure it out. Now, that may not be a good advice for all situations, but that was part of my foundation. The second thing that comes to my mind is I just had a really great role models. One in particular, role model, who was very senior. He ran a business. He was the boss at Citibank, at Deutsche Bank, and then he was the founder of the hedge fund. And he was just somebody that always, always wanted to learn. And he always was looking to change. Always looking, how do I improve? How do I get better? But how do I learn? And I saw him as a senior trading manager, sit down with the most junior person to learn. There's a picture in my mind where I see him sitting on the desk next to this graduate. So they're probably three or four levels apart from each other. At the end of the day, just learning what this graduate was doing, learning about the product. And that always stuck in my mind. And he was constantly evolving.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite attributes in people. And when we talk a lot about cultivating the behaviors to unlearn like curiosity is one of the biggest ones absolutely and sort of recognizing that people will solve problems in a different way than you solved them before Mm -hmm. so even your example of this you know very senior person sitting down with a graduate seeing how they solve problems new methods new techniques they might be using challenging their existing Mm -hmm. mental models of how things are done and then role modeling that behavior to other people like them as a learner on learner yes Yes. You know, there's nothing as powerful as that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this senior manager, Michael DeSa was just a great example. And again, that vision always stuck in my mind. And throughout the subsequent years that followed, He was just always in that mindset. And even now, he's still learning. He just got his PhD, even though his career, you could say, you know, is over. He's in prime, but he still went on to learn. It's just one example of a great role model. And again, I've been surrounded and fortunate enough to be surrounded by multiple role models. And then I would say the third learning that helped me out tremendously, especially as an introvert, uh, because I am more of an introvert than an extrovert, was working at Bridgewater. And what I mean by that is being able to have a voice based on principles. So there's one thing I learned at Bridgewater is you want to spend time on argument on the principle as opposed to trying to prove that one is right or wrong or one is smarter than the other. And that's something I learned a lot at Bridgewater. And it helped me again after Bridgewater to have a voice, have a voice in certain situations, in certain meetings where I may have been quiet. I definitely still listen more than speak. And I think that's just part of my introversion. I definitely prefer listening more and understanding. But now when I speak, I speak based on certain principles, uh, either principles based on what's important for me or principles on how we're running the business.
1: So can you think of a time you know, where, like what an example of a principle that you think you could, that the team needed to align on to move forward?
0: Let me think about one example. I'll start off saying is too many times we will go down a rabbit hole because we're focused on
1: being rice, sorry, wanting to be rice,
0: wanting to, yeah, exactly. Wanting to be right. As opposed to what is the real issue here, right? What is the real problem here? Right. And stepping back from it to understand the real problem so we can fix the real problem as opposed to wanting to be right or. Wanting to do what's the right thing to do, as opposed to what I think is the right thing to do. Because everyone will wear different lenses to the problem. And I think what's important as a leader is to understand and see those lenses, listen to those lenses, because what you want to do is you want to build a sustainable business, right? And you might make that decision just in that one lens. But when you look at all the lenses, the right decision may be something else to build a sustainable business model. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So these are all really interesting sort of experiences that in some respects you're sort of designed for yourself or were they opportunistic? Because, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is, you know, on learning, you have to cultivate this in yourself. It's about curiosity, owning, are you actually achieving the results you want, being comfortable with getting uncomfortable, getting outside your comfort zone because a lot of the growth is there. So for you then and some of, you know, the moments along in your career, where were those sort of moments where you recognized that your current behaviors weren't driving the outcomes that you wanted Mm -hmm. and then you needed to own that and adapt? Yeah. So first
0: of all, I'll say that I've been very fortunate that opportunities have come to me through most of my career, The opportunities have come to me. But to give you examples as to when I've had to make changes So one part of my career is I moved from being a trader to a COO. And the big change there is as a trader, you know at the end of the day if you were valuable to the organization or not. Because you'll know that based on satisfaction from clients, but also based on the profit or loss that was generated on that day. Right. There's a tight feedback loop there. Very tight. So you'll know at the end of the day whether you were of value from a monetary perspective based on that PL to the organization or not. When I went on to do the COO role, the biggest change for me was at the end of the day, I sat there and saying, well, what did I do? <laughs> what value did I add to the organization?
1: Joe, you're not the only person who <laughs> <house> asked that question.
0: <laughs> and the mindset had to change to realizing that you may not know for a period of time, three months, six months, whether you're doing the right thing or not. Because the role is completely different. So it's really understanding what the role is, what is required from the role, and starting to adjust to that and committing to make that change. And as you say, and this is something that I say to my team here, is you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because it is uncomfortable in the beginning, right? Going from a role where at the end of the day, I knew exactly what value I add to all of a sudden saying, On day one, I'm not sure. On day two, on week three, I'm not sure yet. That's very uncomfortable, especially if you've done it for a number of years. The second example is when I left Deutsche Bank and went on to be a partner at the startup hedge fund. And the biggest difference there is as quickly as possible, I had to deal and make decisions on situations that I had no experience in. And the second biggest challenge I had is when I was working at the big institution, I would just turn around and there were a hundred people ready to help me out. At the hedge fund, I would turn around and there would be a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just be talking to myself, okay, well, how are we gonna get through this? <laughs> so there was a lot of learning. This is going back to 2004. I wish I had learned about the Lean and Agile methodology, the experimenting at the time, because I'm sure we would have saved a lot of money, reduce our risks. And maybe have survived. But I wish I had that framework back then. You know, the framework was coming from big organizations, running big businesses, and now all of a sudden jumping to do a startup. A big mindset had to be changed.
1: Right. And very different sets of behaviors.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And we had to learn as we went along. And we had our successes and we definitely had our failures. And in the end, we ended up closing the hedge fund, but I learned a tremendous amount. It definitely made me a different person and a different employee. And then the third example is when we launched the uh, corporate digital initiative at HSBC. And the big challenge there was one, I was definitely not the subject matter expert. I brought in a team of 30 people that 80% of them never worked at HSBC. Obviously, the team had never worked together. And we were going down a path of doing something Extremely different than the way that we were used to doing in the organization. So this is where I really implemented the lean and agile methodologies and practices. Dealing with multiple stakeholders, not necessarily being all on the same page and having to manage that process. So those were all definitely new learning things for me.
1: Yeah, so there's there's lots of great points to underline there. You know, I think one that certainly jumps out for me is... This idea of being able to close feedback loops on the efforts you're doing and the results you're getting. And you know, trading is such an interesting example of that, right? Like the measure of success is the, the PL mm-hmm. as a contributor to that. And then as you move from a contributor to a manager, where your success then has to change, right? It's not yes. necessarily the PL, it's the success of other people as they pursue potentially yes. a P L and other things. You know, and starting to get good at defining what that success is as you as you try different experiments to mm-hmm. get there. Yes, it's an important part of that pattern. Yes, absolutely. And to hear that you sort of your thinking, your experience evolved to that from then taking it from the corporate world to the startup world, and then you know realizing you've got to take on these new roles, these new tasks, these new domains of operating it from a corporate to a startup, mm-hmm. and then learning these new behaviors, again, which you have to experiment with to find which, which the good ones are. And, right. and how you continue to roll that forward mm-hmm. or sort of feed that forward is sort of talk a lot about is into the corporate digital space. So with corporate digital, like what was sort of the culmination of those things of thinking about the outcomes you were aiming for, recognizing new behaviors needed to be tried mm-hmm. to sort of change these sort of, I guess, like a mixed mode of Corporate digital sounds a little bit, it's a corporate entity, but you're trying to be a startup mentality inside that corporate entity.
0: Yes, yes. So the startup mentality was shaped in several ways. Again, one, it was a team that never really worked together. So what was important for me in that aspect was setting the culture the right way, right from the beginning. And what I mean by that is, how is it that I can quickly get this team of 30 to work effectively ASAP? Because we didn't have time. The second part of the entrepreneurial part is we had no budget. We had very limited budget. So how can I prove that the strategy is the right strategy with very limited budget? And the third element was in the way that we went around implementing our strategy. Very different than what we as an organization and probably most all large organizations go through. We went through the whole concept of developing an MVP, but most importantly was that we tested that MVP and validated it with the actual user. The way we started off the MVP was we made assumptions of four use cases that we wanted to develop and then test with clients. And these four use cases, we thought were use cases that clients definitely needed. And the great experience that we have, and I always we'll look at an experiment as being successful if it failed. I know it sounds doesn't sound right, but if it failed, that means that, okay, well, we learned something and now we can get something even better out of it. So the one experiment that we did was we had these four use cases and we went out to a number of clients, actual users, and just gave them the system and said, tell me your initial reaction without giving any instructions at all. And we had one use case where we called it thought leadership, where we would populate the site with interesting articles, articles that are relevant, whether it's market related to the organization, but articles that were of interest to the individuals. And everyone here internally thought this was
1: a slam this is dunk. It, yeah. right. Everybody wants this. Right, exactly. We got to build it. Right. And we got to build it massive. We got to go in every market right. and every...
0: And if you go the old way, you would go build it. So you spend some money. It would be released in a period of time called six months, nine months, and you roll it out and you say, well, how come no one's using it? Right, because, well... We didn't validate it. We thought internally, this is definitely something we wanted to do. So with every client that we tested this MVP, every client said, I would not use that. I get my content from here, from there. Maybe in phase 10, I'll use it. But right now, I will not use it. But then the follow-up was, this is what I need from you, organization. And every client said the same thing. And because of that, then we created a fifth use case that was really relevant to every single client. So I was able to go back and present how we did this and what we learned from it and present that how much money we didn't spend, how much money we spent, but how much money we saved by not just rolling it out without testing and validating it. And every client came back and said, this is what I need. And that was a great, great experience for the team.
1: I love this story because I think it really exemplifies... One uh, the mantras we talk a lot about is think big start small learn fast yes and you know especially in large enterprises the pattern is always think big build big and it often becomes too big to fail so mm-hmm. people pour more money good after bad but never getting to a result a result to make this a decision should we keep going should we do something different right or do we learn something new right right you know so even relatively, to get to these sort of small experiments you were running. What are we talking here, like days, weeks?
0: Oh, the internal work was days, organizing and coordinating the client meetings because there were multiple people involved in the client meetings, relationship managers, salespeople, and obviously the client itself. That took weeks, Mm -hmm. right? And there were some logistics, right? Because we wanted to be there with the client.
1: But relative to what it could potentially take, or you've seen it take? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes.
0: Very small relative to what it would take if we did it the way that we were used to doing it.
1: So that's a really good example, again, of, I think, you unlearning through your different experiences of going from corporate to startup to corporate digital. There's even some nuances here about, you know, the bank starting to unlearn some of these behaviors about what leads to success Where else have you started to see some of that, those other behaviors emerge or where do you see companies need to unlearn that you've maybe been part of?
0: Yeah. So we as an organization have definitely progressed and I'm a big believer that in the phrase, I had read this phrase once, we all have drunk from wells others have built. And I've definitely been a uh, a benefactor to that because I didn't create these lean and agile principles and practices. I learned from others and the organization has definitely learned from either people like myself who have tried that internally and little by little, it's moving to that direction. Definitely what's important is that it comes from the ground up. It comes from bottom on up, but if you don't have the support from the top, it's very difficult right? because the support from the top is really the message that we want to change. We want to try this out and it's Okay. Right, And I know one thing that you had said in many of our conversations is that they're the change enablers, but they're also the change disablers. So it's very important in any organization, but more so in the large enterprise organization, that uh, senior management does support this change. They may not know how to do it. They may not be involved in it. But just the message that he or she will send out that they support this is hugely important.
1: Well, it goes a lot back to your story from the beginning of one of your mentors role modeling the behaviors of continuous learning yes of curiosity i'm one of the most senior people in this huge institution but i'll go down sit with this person who's new who could potentially teach me something new yeah and i'm going to role model and change my behaviors because again that that gives agency for other people
0: yes absolutely lead by example right and then it's setting the culture Right? That's really what it is. The example is setting the culture, which everyone will visually see and behave uh, that way. Now, again, not everyone will behave it, but you want to get the majority of people behaving that way. And then all of a sudden, the culture is the people. Great. All right, cool. This is really good.
1: Working in Bridgewater, there was obviously a number of principles that emerged there. But here we are, you know, you're a couple of iterations down the road. What are some of the principles you've developed for yourself? that you've had to learn and unlearn or the breakthroughs that you've had?
0: Yeah, so definitely one of the strong principles that I have is in any decision that I make or we all make, it has to be about building a sustainable business model because the decisions you're making, you want to make sure the organization will be here long after you've ended your career. And I think that's a very important principle that we all need to take. Yes, we'll get our frustrations. Yes, we're trying to do things. Yes, sometimes the easy answer is a yes or a no, and it's hard. But one of the principles that I try to live up to is building a sustainable business model. And again, what's hard about that is you don't know if you're making the right decision right then and there. And one way I tell it as a story is being a parent, looking at it from a business perspective for the next 20 years, (laughs) how do you know you're doing the right thing? right? Because at a certain point, all throughout, one thing that my wife and I always talk about is all throughout when we were raising our four children, is that in the end, they need to be a man and a woman, right? And part of how we defined what it is to be a man and a woman is they need to stand on their own two feet, right? But you just don't know that until year 20X, right? 21, 22, whatever year that is. And that's building a sustainable model, right? Because you want that model, the end result, the children to be happy with themselves, be proud, be confident with who they are, happy with who they are, and be able to continue that model into the next generation and the next generation. So I always had that in the back of my mind in both raising our family with my wife and
1: the decisions I tried to make at work. Well, I love what you're sharing There is though you're defining outcomes. Yes, yes. You know, aspirations that you want your kids, your businesses, whatever it might be to have whether it's aspirations to have friends and you're diving into pools, you're experimenting yeah. <laughs> with ways to get there, you know, you, and it's a really powerful mechanism, I think, to highlight for people, yeah. right? Like there's a systematic approach to these things that you can put in place yes. to pursue some of these grand things, right? Yes. Whether it's your family, if it's your kids, whether it's your business. Yes. This system isn't just for commercial entities. No, and one other thing that
0: I will add that I've learned again in speaking with you is that Yes, I say that you may not know if you're doing the right thing for a period of time. Could be 20 years, could be six months. But one thing that you keep emphasizing is you just want to build cadence. You want to build weekly stories, right? To have weekly successes, right? As opposed to just having a mindset, okay, well, I won't know for 20 years. No, that's not the case. I don't mean that literally, but figuratively, yeah, you don't know, but during that 20 year or whatever that time period is, you want to have short stories, short cycles of experiments for success, right? Some of them are weekly. Some of them could be monthly. Some of them could be six months, right? It's all relative to what the outcome is and the time period of that outcome. But you do want to have weekly stories to achieve success in or learn from.
1: Yeah, and it's a really important part of the pattern, I think, about learning and unlearning. You know, it's great to think big and have a big aspiration, but starting small and having success for that small step defining that. Yes. So you've something to course correct on a daily, weekly basis as you pursue these bigger, you know, more extreme outcomes over longer periods of time. Yes. And it also helps people feel successful. Yes. As you're trying new behaviors. Absolutely. You might keep sinking to the bottom of pools. Right. Right, 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 I'm sure, you know, you're yeah. obviously building more friends.
0: Yeah. Because the journey's hard. Right. The journey is hard and you need those weekly successes to help you through those difficult journeys. I definitely feel and it's always to talk in, high, easy to talk in hindsight, but I definitely feel if I had known about those lean and agile principles and practices when we had the hedge fund, it might be a different story. It might be a different story because I reflect back on the decisions we made, the mistakes we made, the successes we made. But definitely one of them was we tried to grow way too fast. We definitely tried to run before we could walk in the beginning. But if we took a different approach and used a different framework, I'm sure the story would be different.
1: Well, you know, I think you need to give yourself a little bit of credit here, Joe, because I think you've captured that learning, you know, and and it's provided a breakthrough in your own thinking. And Your behavior as you sort of have moved forward in your career, you've taken those lessons, obviously, and it's adapting your behavior, right? That's interesting to me. That's progress. Yeah.
0: And like I said, in the two places where on paper you could say that, okay, well, this person failed. I learned a tremendous amount because of that. I think a big part of it is one is just the reflection on the situations and really understanding, okay, well, why is it that one failed? Uh, And really being honest and humble about it. Secondly is really listening, listening to people, listening to yourself. But most important thing is listening without juggling any prejudices. I do believe we all just have prejudices that we juggle. It's just natural. But what I've learned is to listen without juggling any prejudices, because if I do that, I may be missing out on a learning opportunity one thing that I tell my team always is I always want them to have a voice because if they don't speak then we lose an opportunity for me to teach them or them to teach me that's another principle that I have to give people that level of comfort that they can speak as you know when you go into my office my office is set up a very particular way deliberately yeah deliberately tell us why So the office is set up, when you walk into the office, there's a big round table, a screen for VCs and presentations, and two whiteboards. There's no desk, there's no computer. And it was deliberate that way because to me, one, I want the office to be an office that's welcoming. You know, people come in there and not really know whose office that is unless they look at the nameplate outside. Secondly is the round table is something that is very important for me because in a round table, you never know who the leader is right? There isn't the head of the table. And that's important for me because sometimes I will not be the right person to lead a dialogue or a decision. I may be the person that I need to listen, but the round table gives the freedom to have everyone be a leader at the table. So that's something that's very important for me. That's another principle of mine. Yeah, but I encourage people to always speak up because otherwise we lose an opportunity of learning something or being taught something.
1: It's fantastic, right? And I think for people to think away is how can you design those types of even small little changes? Mm-hmm. Yes. But they drive such great behaviors. Yes.
0: Yeah. And th- those small changes are important because what I also talk to people about is with change, you want to make that involuntary muscle a voluntary muscle. You want it to make it as part of your DNA, right? So if you walk into an office that has a desk and has a computer and used to always go into the desk as opposed to an office that just has a round table your mind is going to change because you're just walking into it every day and says, oh, okay, it's here for a reason, right? So even those small changes at least helps me to remind me and to make that involuntary muscle into a voluntary muscle. It just becomes part of my DNA and I can work on the next thing that I need to learn. So I'm constantly looking as to what are the things that I want to change about myself, make it into a voluntary muscle, make it as part of my DNA so then I can say, okay, now what's the next thing I need to learn?
1: That's great. And it's admirable to see not only the, daily experimentation that you're doing yeah, on yourself yeah. but how you're creating an environment for other people to do that and i think that's pretty inspiring
0: yeah i do think that that's important I mean, as any leader you deal with strategy vision you're constantly at least i think one of the great what great leaders do you're constantly juggling what's more important the purpose or the profit right? The purpose of why we do what we're doing, right? You can never forget about the client or the product or the people that you're leading, but you have to balance that with obviously the revenue model, right? Unless it's a different kind of organization, but you're constantly juggling as to what's more important, the purpose or the profit. But I also, like I said before, what's hugely important is building a sustainable business model. That is by
1: far the most important thing. So as you look forward now in the years ahead, what are you excited about? What do you feel are the next sort of things you need to unlearn or, or maybe the breakthroughs that you're looking for?
0: Well, I want to continue to keep growing and learning. I want to continue to be involved in,
1: in leading change because that's what I really
0: enjoyed throughout my career. And I've been given some great opportunities to do that. But also know that unlearning is hard. It's not easy. It really requires a commitment, humility, and a lot of hard work. But what has helped me in times where I really enjoyed that change and going through that is where three things were aligned for me. One is I was doing something that I was passionate about, something that I really believed in. And that's hugely important. The second one, just as important, is my purpose was aligned to the purpose of what I was doing. That is very important. So purposes need to be aligned. And the third one is really around people, the people that you work with. Because to be successful, it's definitely not one person that is going to make it successful, but it's the team of people that make it successful. And if you have those three things aligned, the unlearning becomes a journey as opposed to a challenge. And trust me, when it's successful
1: and as you go through the learning, it really is a lot of fun. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. you know, Some of my takeaways are definitely you know, your humility shines through every time I spend time with you and it continues to. And and also your willingness to role model the behaviors that you want other people to do in yourself, another great, powerful part of unlearning. But I think the real takeaway for me is your reflection piece. And I think that's often sort of undersold by a lot of people. The power of reflection on looking back in an honest and objective way of what were the actual takeaways from the experiences that you've had and how you've used that reflection to feed forward and adapt your behavior for the next step. Yes. I think that's a real great insight. And thank you very much for sharing a lot of that. Thank you very much, Barry.